everyone. Welcome back to the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. Uh, we're on episode 55. We're back from our summer break. Um, it's October, but I know we're a bit later than we said, but we're back. Be grateful. Um, yeah, I'm your host, Evan. And I'm Tom. And welcome wherever you're listening to today's episode. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I know we're on a bit of a low point because Ireland just got knocked out of the rugby. Um, but anyways, <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that, Evan. You, <laughs> you <okay>? don't care. <laughs> I, I do. I do. Um, before we get into that, um, on today's episode, Tom, what are you going to uh, inform the listeners about? So we're going to be very original and we're going to go over the Nobel prizes that just uh, mm. happened and um, whether it was a controversial or not decision. Spoiler, it was. <laughs> As you can, yeah, if you follow Twitter, then you definitely saw. In fairness, I didn't know it was controversial, but I can imagine there's I spend always going to be. I spend a lot of time on Twitter these days, so okay. I'm It's actually X, sorry. <laughs> since the summer, it's changed since then. I refuse to acknowledge okay. that. Yeah. Um, okay. A new? It's a news headline, a new story about uh, a woman who was able to get a, an interface to help uh, use to speak because she can't currently uh, she's non-verbal at the moment so i thought it was an interesting story to ha- cover that happened over the summer is it like an update from stephen hawking kind of a um a little bit yeah okay. yeah okay. okay um and and then for the main story i'm going to cover uh cannabis legalization so it was basically <gasps> there was a big meta review done in the british medical journal so i want to cover it go over it and see what you think coming from a country that it is i don't know it's not legal is it legalized it's decriminalized decriminalized and see what your thoughts are and do you agree okay very interesting so i think uh should be a good episode Mm -hmm. um and before we get jump into that before we get uh into the the science stories yes how was your summer tom how was uh Great, I finished my PhD. There you go. <laughs> I couldn't wait to say that. Had to get that out. <laughs> yes, it's so. Done. Congrats. Thank you. Well done, you I've, got through it. I've worked hard on it, and um, thank you for helping me through. No the worries. Four and a, four, four and a half year. <laughs> uh, the thesis were submitted in mid-August, accepted on the last day of my holiday in Barcelona, and I have my date of my Which defense. is when? That was end of September. That was third of October. Third of October. Yeah. So it took them like well over quite some time, but I don't hold a grudge. Okay. Yeah. So uh, and now you're gonna have your defense, and I'm gonna be officially made a doctor, PhD. Yeah. And you're gonna is, be there is with it me right now. That's, for <laughs> now, it's just unofficial. I can I still can't use the title. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, but as soon as it's done, I'm gonna go to the bank. Uh, yeah. To all of my banks and change. change Everyone will know. Yeah. Of, ho- of course. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And you're going to be my witness. Uh, you're going to be there with me on the day. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll do my best to help you <laughs> as much as I can. Thanks, mate. We'll I see how much appreciate help it. I really am. But Yeah, so it's um, nice. Yeah, we- no, but congrats. I know I, anyone who used to listen, who listens to this, I was going to say who used to listen, <laughs> <laughs> who listens to the podcast knows how much of a, a struggle it's been. We've we documented this since COVID and yeah. how difficult it was to do anything. So I think to manage to, to manage to survive and get something published and, and get graduated, I think is a, is a great feat. 
Um, would you do it again? No. You would, no. No, I'm done. All, off to the bathroom, bigger things now. But you're saying in research, so yeah, I got. I yeah, can't I, completely have turned you off. No, I got a. I got a postdoc in UCL. I'm still working with RNA. Um, so we'll see how that Very journey fancy. will go. Yeah. And how was your summer? What did you do? Yeah, it was good. Um, I think the highlight, I suppose, we might as well mention, we were talking about this at the end of last uh, season, was um, the walk, our walk for in for the, the four-day march The four-day marches in Naime. So I didn't chicken out and then I didn't back out. I actually finished it. So, um, yeah, it was great. I'm very I, proud of you. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I was proud of you. You got it done as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was amazing. It was it was very tough. Yeah. Um this is the first time you really have to I've really learned the the phrase like rolling with the punches, like you really do have to go with the lows and just try and get through it and then there'll be times where you're flying it. So it's it is a roller coaster of emotions, of feelings. And uh like yeah, you have your low points, you have your high points, and then it's just to get through that line. Was well, a bit emotional. It was, yeah. Definitely. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a few tears were had <laughs> because it, like you, people don't understand how much it takes out of you. Yeah, to exactly. Do four days. I could have cried every day. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> like to do fifty on one day yeah. is is a is a lot. Then to do it for four days, um, but f- shout out to the uh, the four day marches. The the organization is amazing. Like they, I. I remember you told me like you will get blisters and I never really understood because I did the training I did long walks and I never had anything so I was like okay whatever (laughs) you just don't believe and then when it happens you're like oh now I get it and they do have great they've doctors there specifically to cover your blisters and look after you so yeah it's um the registration fees the money is going towards something like yeah you, you see, honestly yeah. yeah yeah and um and you raised money for the, uh, yeah uh, i did yeah so thanks to everyone who listened and donated i raised over two thousand uh, euro for um the northwest ms uh therapy center um so i thought thanks again i'm really proud that I managed to do it and uh, fair play to everyone who donated and uh, yeah. hopefully it's for a great cause so hopefully it can be used for uh, for all the services that they do up there so yeah I'm, I'm happy <laughs> Good, great memories yeah yeah Definitely. so um, yeah on to the on to the next next, next year things. well <laughs> I wouldn't go that far yet um, unless I'm absolutely complete PTSD block out <laughs> that uh well i suppose that the, the good memories yeah um so yeah that, that's that's our summer really brilliant so on to the new season that's of it. the podcast um and unfortunately we were came because we came back in october we didn't get to do our predictions our annual predictions of the nobel prize um which is sickening because i had predicted that the mrna I, for the COVID vaccine would win. I was skeptical. Course, I didn't. You were very skeptical. I think if anyone wants to check it out, you can verify what I was saying. Tom reckoned it would take uh, a bit a, longer, a bit many more years. But yeah. they won it for this uh, Nobel Prize for the biology. But anyways, let's John, Tom. If you want to give us an overview, sure, of the Nobel Prize, what happened, who won, what was the controversies? Okay. Yeah, so for the, for everyone who doesn't know, a Nobel Prize um, was created by Alfred Nobel. He was a 19th century businessman and chemist. 
made some money out of his inventions and the, toward the end of his life he decided to use his fortune to fund prices for give money to those people uh, who have come for the greatest benefit to humankind wasn't he did he invent dynamite or was it no yeah that's the first okay. controversy so okay. something that was used to uh, basically kill. kill people made him very very uh <laughs> well rich. he gave back to reward the development of other what a great man <laughs> okay <laughs> well we all have his thoughts uh, we all have our own thoughts about the man but anyway the first Nobel prize was presented in uh, 1901 five years after his death and uh, in 1968, a sixth prize was created for economics uh, by the Swedish Central Bank. And then there is also the Nobel Peace Prize. But this one is not given in Sweden. This one is given in Norway for okay. some reason. Um, yeah, so uh, let's go into it. Let's see um, Let's see what has happened. I did, uh, the economics one is the most random, really. I don't really get it. Which why? one? It's, it's like tagged on the economics one. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know why. But like I what, it's nice. What? How does it really change? Well, it, economy. The, the kind people of, who win, who win them prizes, do they really? Do their findings really make a huge difference? I suppose the economy somehow does connect to you know benefiting the human mm, mankind. Yeah, but as groundbreaking as. Medicine, chemistry, research. and physics. I don't know. I don't know. I'm such a purist. So um, I think the, there is always some controversy associated with the Nobel Prizes, and that goes back to the founder of the Nobel Prize itself, you know, as we have mentioned, through his invention of dynamite, which yeah. was used to kill people at some point. If you want to make an omelette, got to crack a few eggs, isn't that it? Well, unless you are vegan and you don't <laughs> eat eggs, so... Yeah, exactly. That's it. There you uh, have it covered. Yeah. So just to just to name few uh, contro- controversial prizes, for example, in two thousand nine, Barack Obama won oh, the yeah. Peace Prize, even though USA was still uh, at war with Iraq and mm. Iran. In two thousand nineteen, I thought that was uh, very controversial. Uh, Peter Handke won won the Literature Nobel Prize. And he's a deeply controversial person because he allegedly was accused of support of the Serbs during the 1990s Balkan War. And uh, he was also a genocide denier. Um, So, you know, that's... But I suppose you could argue that what his thoughts and about that, about genocide, doesn't influence his quality of his literature, I suppose. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Can you not... (laughs) Can you separate them out? Can you? I don't know. Okay. Well, I suppose again, everyone's to each own uh, to each own uh, judgment. And a little bit something closer, little bit something closer to our own passions. In 2008, Harald Zurhausen received the prize for physiology or medicine for his discovery of the human papilloma virus and its link to cervical cancer. What was the problem? Well, AstraZeneca produced the HPV vaccine and it sponsored the Nobel Prize website. And in addition, two members of the panel that selected Zurhausen had ties to AstraZeneca. Uh, so there was, uh, okay. uh, there was some investigation co- uh, performed. There was no wrong, wrongdoings identified, but it still uh, received some uh, controversial, you know? Uh, well, uh, in fairness, I will defend, I think... Her- her uh the hpv vaccine for um cervical cancer it's a great it was a great discovery and it's saved a lot of lives do you know what also made a lot of money, money for AstraZeneca. Yeah. oh yeah yeah but i don't know 
Well, maybe it did convince countries to implement it, but I I wonder, would it have made a difference? Who knows? I don't know. It's just the <laughs> things that are out there, and I suppose everyone has the well, freedom they to, be, yeah, to they make their own to, yeah. uh, judgment about it. And you know, this is this is not like um, a, a pseudo kind of a, a fake information. This had like this really had happened. Yeah, These yeah. things are documented, so. Uh, it's true. It's a fact, and you can you can think of it whatever you want. But it it was true that the, he he did work on the HPV, and he did uh, linked it to cervical cancer. And now we can uh, we can prevent um, young yeah. women, females, from uh, from getting cervical cancer because of the HPV. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it is to the benefit. Whether someone made the money on the side of that discovery is a is a different thing, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. And if they were, they should be transparent about it. Really. Yes. This year's medicine uh, or physiology Nobel Prize uh, is it controversial and is it politicized? <laughs> in in a way, not. And some people do claim that it is. One of those people would be uh, Bobby Malone. Bobby Malone. Yeah. He would say that this political it was a poli- politicized prize uh, given to um, to well, who, this okay, year. Well, maybe who who won? Oh, First yeah. of all, who won this? So it was awarded the to anyways. It was awarded to Kathleen Carico and Drew Weissman for their work on how mRNA interacts with our immune system. And of course their work has contributed immensely to pushing forward the development of COVID nineteen mRNA vaccine. Yeah, so like straight off the bat you can say there was already so much controversy about COVID nineteen mRNA vaccines, so of course it's gonna be highly like controversial to a certain audience so and politi- they're going to perceive it as being politically motivated yes so, yeah but i think we we agreed that we don't we don't think it it was driven by the politics of the world or uh, influence no no i well like i i i made my case last time i definitely think it was groundbreaking what they did yeah. how they've saved so many lives um you could argue maybe it is too early to give have given it to them i don't know what do you think what about the long-term effects uh, of yeah the exactly um but the technology has been there for quite some time it's not like people had started working with mrna only back in 2019 and 2020 yeah this this work goes uh, way, back. B- way back yeah um yeah so in fairness and it's just that their work led to the discovery yeah. for further therapies like for mrna for like viral vaccines it could be used for cancer vaccine so it's not to say they're just were doing the fundamental work so yeah and Kathleen Carico she has been linked to this work for years she was even um, she was even told by the University of Pennsylvania to either drop the mRNA work or sacrifice her tenure position at the university and she believed this was where she worked yeah, at the time, yeah, yeah. and she uh, she she believed in uh, mRNA. Yeah. She sacrificed her uh, tenure um, track position, yeah. uh, and you know, in the in the long term, it it paid out uh, for her. Get someone who believes in you as much as <laughs> Kathleen Creco believed in uh, mRNA. That's a yeah, that's actually a dream partner, if you, <laughs> to be honest with you. So the Nobel Committee recognized uh, their work on chemical changes changing of chemically changing strands of mRNA which made it possible to use them um, as a vaccine this technology was licensed by the US biotech firm firm Moderna as well as by the German biotech firm BioNTech uh, which then they collaborated with the multinational Pfizer 
And this led to two of the main COVID-19 vaccines uh, used in high-income countries from Moderna and Pfizer slash BioNTech. Uh, the secretary of the Nobel Committee for Physiology or Medicine stated that the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines helped prevent countless deaths and severe ill health from the coronavirus and enabled societies to open up again, which is true. I think we all experienced that. And in addition, their work opened up possibilities to focus on mRNA developing, on focus on developing mRNA therapies from cancer. And, you know, I, I guess my own postdoc is a fundament to how valuable yeah, mRNA work you're, is. You're going because, into mRNA now, Because I'm so. going to work on the mRNA treatment for uh, yeah. hereditary liver disease. Yeah, it's a huge buzzword now in, in science. Very easy to get grants. Yeah, I just mentioned it and, and people uh, are are like, wow, you're, that that's the future. Um, so hopefully it will unlock... Uh, whole wave of therapeutics for different diseases and stuff like that yeah um the question was like so that she she developed the fundamental research in mrna and then was it the biointech they took that um research and they ran with it they They ran with it yeah okay and And then then they end up hiring her hiring her yeah well she she wasn't hired as a like a a floor researcher she was a at a higher one of, I think, the uh, directors or like a oh, run, yeah. running oh, yeah. positions. Yeah. Like she wasn't just a scientist. But entirely. I wonder, could she have patented it and then they, then she could have really restricted it? Or... I, I don't think you can just like patent like uh, an umbrella thing because yeah. there's so many, you can maybe patent the chemicals that are used to modify mRNA. Right. You can patent maybe delivery. You can patent this and that rather than just mm. everything. Like, you know, so I'm sure she has like some sort of patent together with uh, Drew Weissman on, yeah. on it. But it's not like they own the, the technology. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I it's great that they yeah. don't own it because it yeah. went on. And if it wasn't, because like sh- she needed a big company. Well, yeah. BioNTech is that massive. That to still pi- partner with well, Pfizer. They, they but, Pfizer kind but of. they still was able to go on and help with the rapid development of these vaccines that we really needed for when for during COVID. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great, great outcome. And uh yeah right massive congratulations to them yeah exactly they uh, i think the whole scientific world was uh, applauding them when they found out some people weren't as happy i don't consider those people as uh, relevant scientific figures but no i was what i was going to say was yeah joe rogan was making the comparison between a nobel prize for medicine given for lobotomy oh yes and trying to make that equivalence with (laughs) this this nobel prize which it's like it was really f- terrible because he's a massive audience and I'm like, how can you even justify linking? It's a here? very sublime kind of a message. Subliminal. Subliminal message. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, totally. Very, yeah. Gosh. Well, look, we leave that behind us, him and his uh, podcast. And-, and I just want to shout out Robert Malone who was so uh, modest in his, uh, when, <laughs> when they got given, he was like, completely complaining about it but also claiming he yeah he did he was the one who was who did the research and so he, he should have won it so it's just the the hoops the people <laughs> jump through the mental gymnastics so he's the guy that i think was one of the first one first people to take mrna deliver it into a cell and prove that that mrna can be further on translated into a protein okay so you know, just because you be, you discover a wheel doesn't mean you're the inventor of the car. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Totally. It's Great metaphor. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on 
to the next thing, which uh, I understand a little bit less. <laughs> so chemistry. And then when we get to physics, I don't understand at all. But in chemistry, the Nobel Prize has gone to Maugi Bevendi, Louise Bruce, and Alexei Ekimov for inventing quantum dots, uh, which are being used in computing, lasers, and microscopy. So w w do you know what the quantum dots are? Well, I from the vague little bit I know is that they're used to like make more detailed colors. But yeah, in an essence, that yeah. I think that's that's what a, a person yeah. on the street can understand yeah. by it. They are nanostructures, uh, so like really, really, really small. They are made artificially, and they can possess many different properties, which are determined by uh, factors like their size, shape, uh, composition, and structure. So they are made usually from uh, metals, uh, toxic metals. Uh, they enable researchers to study cell processes at the very l small level, like nano level, which because they have different colors, you can attach them to different conjugates. These conjugates, they can react with cell receptors and then you can very, very easily um, image those, yeah. uh, those processes. So it's not just for like TVs or computers, it actually has a, for health application in research uh, yeah applications yeah. in health yeah. um it can actually help in imaging like cancers or other yeah. other tissues that you need to, to you can use them for delivery better. to make sure that the drug has been delivered yeah, to the right yeah. tissue better contrast yeah, so. yeah. Well, although they are they are toxic still for human use because of the types of metals oh, that are being used right. so they have the potential it's just have to also oh, they don't even use them at the moment no oh, no okay. not for the actual human injections you can't you can't really um, okay. so there is a like there is this potential that they hold that we know we can we can harness but yeah. we just don't have the appropriate tools to harness, harness it right now just a matter of time yes uh but however the they not only be they, they not only have use in the medicine they can um, they are commonly used uh, in the TV screens, like Samsung and L mm. LG already launched their uh, QLED TVs in 2015. Um, the difference is that compared to organic luminescent materials used in uh, the um, organic light emitting diodes, diodes, how do you pronounce that? Diodes, yeah. Diodes. The quantum dots-based materials have more pure colors, longer lifetime, lower manufacturing cost, and lower power consumption. So, thumbs up. And another key advantage is that uh, Q quantum dots can be deposited on virtually any substance you can, uh, so you can expect printable and flexible rollable quantum dots displays uh, of all sizes. Yeah. So that would be cool, like, you know, so, uh, bending phones and stuff like that, yeah, TV yeah. screens and... So yeah, it's great, like better for the environment, better lowers the cost for, for businesses and um, yeah, just very positive and yeah, hopefully it can be used for human uh human application applications for humans well. yeah it's, it's cool because i was learning about quantum dots when i was doing my masters in 2016 oh really so they were like like the they were already known oh, okay uh, back then and it's just you know you, you learn these things and then i had to like i i wrote like an and i had like an essay question about nanomedicine i remember during my masters oh, okay and now you can see these things coming up uh 
yeah, as a yeah. Nobel Prize worthy. It sounds like, like something in um, from a Marvel movie, like Quantum Dots, is like yeah, uh, Ant Man. <laughs> something to explain a reason why something is happening, and it, it's yeah, it just it doesn't seem like. Uh, it seems way it can go over people's heads when they hear quantum. So I think yeah, it's a good explanation. Yeah, and you know, no controversies associated with this <laughs> with this price. I think uh, it's yeah, because um, yeah. it just people don't understand it. So <laughs> maybe well, I I'll be the first one to admit that yeah. I don't fully understand it. Uh, but apparently, size does matter. So there you are. <laughs> and the last one that uh, in physics uh, that went over my head yeah a couple of times. <laughs> I had to like read a little bit about it and then watch YouTube videos about it. But okay, he, neither here or now. Uh, and so the Nobel Prize in Physics was awarded to just these surnames. I swear to God, Pierre Augustini, Ferenc Kraus, and Anne Luriel. I, she's. I think it's L'Oreal. a friend. I think it's a French surname. I'm L'Oreal. very sorry. I can't do this. Uh, so they got the prize for the experimental methods that generate attosecond pulses of light for the study of electron dynamics in matter. So so simple. Right? What, what is an atos, attosecond physics, Evan? <laughs> it's a it's a um, it's a a certain decibel of a second. Like a is it? Yeah. Like, so like I the way I read it on from like the a, internet. Yeah. So you have like this this huge physics. This like. Um, mac- macrophysics when people look into stars and and study galaxies and yeah. stuff like that then you have like the nanophysics when you go into like the nanospace but these are these are physics based on the size whereas oh, okay. the attosecond is a physics based on time okay so it's like really 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 <laughs> really, really short so. really short yes so it allows scientists to look at the very at the very smallest particles at the very shortest time scales so an attosecond is one quintillion of a second I like. Can you even imagine that? No. <laughs> or one billion of a nanosecond. That's you know. It's nice to say these words, oh but like it doesn't God. really mean anything. And <laughs> uh, I can't even imagine these uh, time spaces. So using an ultra fast pulse lasers, these scientists measure the rapid processes in which electrons move or change energy. So when they move between the valencies of of an atom. So what? what so what does it mean? Uh, think about like if there's a super fast car going by and you try to take a photograph of it with like an old school camera yeah it's just gonna leave a smear of light but if, when you're using this um these lasers these ultra fast lasers that can like shoot these uh, lights very quickly you're able to capture this 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 fast moving objects in the very sharp resolution mm. so you have a better understanding of um, of what is going on at that level of time basically everything freezes in time for that one out of seconds um so so that's nice so this is a very rough explanation yeah, very yeah. surface level explanation of the attosecond uh and it's a very very fundamental development in physics but as i read somewhere you know understanding of a process leads to a control of the process and the control leads to development of new technologies yeah yeah so understanding and controlling the behavior of electrons uh on the attosecond scale could enable re- researchers to use lasers to control chemical reactions that they can't uh, by other means and that ability to modify electron behavior could lead to ultra fast switches and that's in itself didn't really meant anything to me yeah, yeah. didn't mean anything to me but then I think it means that you can create much faster computers right, with much yeah. faster computational abilities. Um, so yes, there is a real world. There, 
there is an application to it. To it, yeah. yeah. So it's nice to see like a fundamental. Yeah. Well, like, it's always like that. You have it's to do the fundamental work in understanding yeah. your environment before you can apply towards yeah, a new yeah, technology. Yeah. yeah, that's. It's it's definitely something I wouldn't understand. I but, don't. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's. Yeah, I'm content. I'm and content. I'm sure something will come of it that will lead back. I'm sure something is right now because usually these are from work that was done a long time ago. So, so yeah. who knows what's at the moment being? So I think these auto second physics start like I think they it was like started in the early 2000s with the advancements of the technology yeah. and progressively with time they were able to capture smaller and smaller time frames. Yeah. Uh, to the point where they got into this. What's the shortest second. amount of time you can like, like it's just like is it infinity that it's just a short like you can keep keep going down 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 like what's the point what's what can you really measure and, and if time, time is infinite therefore are you able to go infinitely short yeah infinitely long and infinitely yeah. short yeah this is this is this is we approaching this sphere when like science merges back with philosophy especially with physics you know because you start asking this question yeah and uh it was like no at some point in the history of science like philosophy was science because that's how it was done then it was like this divergence when the philosophy was left to itself and we got like the ability to measure and quantify things and segregate things and that was like the core of science for the longest time and now we now with the advancements of understanding of the universe, especially with, with physics, I, I guess, we're we going back again to the point where like a philosophy and physics merges back again because we are able to ask these questions in a philosophical m way and approaching a stage where we can measure measure the uh, the quantities. Yeah. So we were we were actually checked. We actually checked to see if what is the, um, what would be the published... Uh, information for the shortest time possible that can be measured and i think it's there is a general consensus that it's basically um the short the time it takes for light to pass from the shortest distance possible which is planck's length um so the time that light passes it is the shortest time possible because if it doesn't if it passes was it before that then there's no, time hasn't passed if the light doesn't pass if the light doesn't travel that far, that means no time has okay, passed. Right. So if the Planck constant is the shortest distance, yeah. If and the light, and there's nothing shorter than that, then the light doesn't travel anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, so it has to, no time. Yeah, has light passed. has to pass that length for time to pass. Yes, yeah. and that's what we call the shortest length possible. So this so. is our speculation. This is what we say, but yeah. sure. Well, no, you know, Prove maybe next wrong. year. Yeah, yeah, maybe next year is gonna be some other. Um, time unit let's travel to the quantum realm and figure uh, it out. just to point out last year there was a, a a female physicist that won a nobel prize and this year is another female physicist that also won the nobel prize it's nice to see it's nice to see that the work of our colleagues is being recognized yeah. and finally recognized because it is was a heavy uh, male dominated uh, field and um yeah i think but it's nice that it's that is work that is um that that there is quality work and it's not just for the sake of recognizing oh yeah yeah it That's... is it is quality work and again no controversy uh about this 
a Nobel Prize. Uh, and from what I read on the nature.com and the new scientist, the, the field of physics seems to be happy and content with the, with the winners. And they say they all uh, rightly deserve so. Great. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's the Nobel Prize. Um, that's great. Great summary. Nothing to say about the uh, peace and literature. <laughs> We're going to skip that one. Listen Equally to, important, but... Listen to another podcast if you want to <laughs> learn about that. Not the time or place to discuss, discuss those two. Okay, grand. Okay, perfect. Thanks for that, Tom. That was a great overview. If, if you want any clarification or you query any of Tom's facts uh please let us know on uh, instagram skeptically inclined twitter or x now uh at skeptically i and uh always you can email us skeptically inclined at gmail.com so much science over the summer i don't think we can really cover everything and it was just like i could have covered so much over this but i just said i'd look at one story yeah that i thought was interesting and as the season goes on we could still go back and have a look um but it was back call this is kind of a callback to I d it's kind of similar to the deep brain stimulation and the the use of an interface um this story was why it piqued my interest so because it's kind of a callback to one of our previous episodes so um basically it was about a paralyzed woman so she was severely paralyzed not she's been now able to speak through an avatar using technology that translated her brain signals into speech and facial expressions um and it raises the hope that brain computer interfaces could be on the brink of transforming the lives of people who have lost the ability to speak due to conditions such as strokes and amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or ALS mm -hmm. um and I think this is what uh Elon Musk is trying to do with Neuralink but who knows what's going on there animal <laughs> abuse that's what's going on there <laughs> yeah but i do think there is so much work being done and i think we're we're close to i think a tipping point where there'll be a, so much technology for people who are um suffering from um, being paralyzed or like limb um not being able to use their limbs or not being able to speak and that we have these brain interfaces so i think it's really cool so in this case patients now if they have speech uh, impediments or speech deficits from stroke or they have no speech basically they have to usually rely on this frustratingly slow speech synthesizers as you mentioned with um stephen hawking that um they involve spelling out words using eye tracking or small facial movements making natural conversation really difficult um and i think you know with stephen hawking he could have always changed his voice to be more realistic but he chose not to right because it was so iconic um i didn't know that he could change it yeah yeah okay like the technology had improved so much but that was just like everyone knew it was like that and i think that's why he kept it so it's kind of interesting mm -hmm. um so basically this native technology uses tiny electrodes implanted on the surface of the brain to detect electrical activity in the part of the brain that controls speech and face movements and then these signals are translated directly into a digital avatar speech and facial expressions, including smiling, frowning, or surprise. Um, so the patient was a 47-year-old woman called Anne, and she'd been severely paralyzed and suffering a brainstem stroke more than 18 years ago. And she cannot speak or type and normally communicates using movement tracking that allows her to slowly select letters up to 14 words a minute. So it's oh. quite slow. Um, but she hopes this avatar technology could enable her to work as a counselor in the future she so she wants to like continue working so they impl 
implanted a paper-thin rectangle of 253 electrodes onto the surface of her brain over the, the region critical for speech. And then the electrode were able to interpret the brain signals that if there wasn't for the stroke would have controlled her muscles in her tongue, her jaw, her larynx and face. So everything that's mm-hmm. needed for like, not just speaking, but like so people understand the the way you're speaking, how you're how you're delivering it, your facial emotions and stuff like that, which is people often don't really think about that when they say speaking. You just think about, oh, this deliver it in a any kind of way of delivering it isn't is enough, which sometimes it's not really yeah yeah um so yeah once they had it implanted and they had the signals they used uh, a systems uh, ai algorithm to detect the unique brain signals for her various speech sounds so she had to repeat the different phrases repeatedly uh even though she wouldn't be able to say them she had to like thought of them or yeah i think the way like if she was to try and move her mouth to say something uh, these phrases your brain still fired your brain would still fire but okay. it just wasn't um there wasn't a connection to these muscles in her in her face and then once they the ai was able to pick up these signals they were used this um learned so it learned 39 distinctive sounds it was able to figure out 39 distinctive ways of different phrases or what there was being said and then they use a ChatGPT language model to translate this the signals into intelligible sentences so it would know when it's seen a certain signal to be like oh she wants to say this or she wants to say that or she wants to move her face this way and she wants to express this emotion and then this was used then they'd have an avatar so the the AI would translate to an avatar which would have a voice speaking to sound like Anne's voice before the injury based on recordings of her speaking at a wedding um it's not perfect the it still decodes words incorrectly 28 percent of the time okay um in a test that ran involving more than 500 phrases and it generally um only t- uh brain to text at a rate of 78 words per minute compared with 110 to 150 words typically spoken in a natural conversation but it's still like more natural where you can rep- respond much more quickly in real time than what she would have had to yeah. done before what was it like 14 letters per minute yeah, yeah yeah and uh so i think it's it shows that the the latest advantage advances in accuracy speed and sophistication suggest that technology is now at a point of being practically useful for patients so it's really they're saying this is quite a jump from previous results and he the the uh, neuroscience involved reckons it's going to be a tipping point as well so their hope is that they can have a create a wireless version of this that can be implanted beneath the skull and then they could have an avatar that goes around so they can nearly live a, a somewhat normal life and that they can use they use the avatar for people to interpret and they can have conversations with people so i thought it was super cool super interesting super real uh life um uh use of this technology and that it could actually benefit such a useful population it's still going to be a bizarre you could have a like a, a tablet on your chest or something with a oh, picture of the, that's the, the avatar, avatar. Yeah. I thought you meant like the way uh, Kanye West brought to life uh, Kim Kardashian's father, that kind of an avatar. Oh, on a computer? No, like a hologram. <laughs> no, no, I don't think... Well, how how would that work then? Just say you're out, out in the shops. <laughs> well, no, you I'm, just, I'm like, meant... You just like flick the hologram on, is no, it? No, more that like, when she's working, like you can have like a... Because like a, she wants to be a consul- counselor. 
Yeah. So that you just have like a hologram. Oh, okay. That, that you couldn't it, use it outside of that. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, no. It's just like literally, like there's a video of this. If you want to have a look, you can actually find it. I should leave this in our description. Um, but yeah, it's really cool that it's like there's a screen of her, like as an avid, like just like a, you know, an Instagram, you know, like a, yeah. a TikTok, you know, filter of yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. and it's just basically the, the the face moves it says the words and it's just it's pretty much quite close to real time as she's thinking it it's translated so um it's it's because it's just weird that you have to would have maybe a screen like around you that someone would have to look at but like that's still way better than what you would have well before. that's still better than not being able to communicate at all or yeah you know, exactly pre- f- 14 words not letters 14 words per yeah, minute yeah and is this uh can you hack this? Uh, because that's what <laughs> I'm their, thinking. Well, no, all, but like, though, hack it how? Like, the, the, the only way, the only thing that this implant would do is this reads the signals. Okay. So, and then that's being uh, caught by this AI model that's translating it to uh, the speech so that they it, it interprets as like, okay, it sees this gamma wave or, or delta wave or whatever. And it's able to know that in for her this means she wants to say this or she's trying to say, smile or whatever. But so. in the, in a way, can you like make it sound as a different person uh, that you can impersonate someone? Well, yeah, but like it's an avatar, it's a digital avatar. But this is it's specific to her. Like if they have, okay, you couldn't use this. Like just take exactly the same signals and like someone else who has the same condition and then just be like okay we're just gonna use the same things like it wouldn't work like that it has to be like personalized i think it's a great way to give someone like a purpose yeah oh like she wants to be a power over her life a therapy a therapist so like i think that's really cool so yeah i um i think it's an amazing way of that um this technology development of technology now would um all the all the tools you have and now it's actually going to implement it into health sciences and neuroscience and how we're able to maybe harness the brain's methods and be able to use them so uh yeah it's always a, an interesting a great fundament to how understanding of uh yeah physics like technology physics brain yeah. brain biochemistry AI. yeah when, once you can understand it you can control it and once you control it you can implement the new technologies yeah yeah, yeah. i hope i hope like i wish this person all the best and i yeah. hope this uh i hope they can lower the uh word inaccuracy um yeah because yeah. maybe you know maybe you can come across like unintentionally racist you know <laughs> yeah but, um, uh, no, i, I if you're like going to hack it do you mean like hacky could they be like oh make they, her say things that she didn't mean yeah to but i guess this is just a bit yeah out there that's okay. some evil doing but yeah hopefully we're at a type of moment hopefully it'll couldn't be developed and i hope anyone who's listening who maybe knows someone that this could be potentially and was that done in the netherlands uh no i I think it could have been in the uk or in the netherlands (laughs) could have been either i think it was a joint um yeah uh, probably it is a collaborative work yeah Yeah, it's too it's too extensive just to be a one person kind of a gig okay great thank you yeah no worries i thought that was a cool uh summer story Mm -hmm. so yeah very um, positive if you hear any other ones you want us to cover please let us know on our instagram as i mentioned or our twitter uh, or email us um as i mentioned already <laughs> we'll have it in our bios if you're okay um 
So yeah, on to the main story then, I suppose. Might as well. Oof. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Um, puff, puff, pass. Puff, puff, pass. So there's been a lot of like, I suppose this is the reason I wanted to cover it. Well, it was a, it was a massive meta review anyways. Um, but it was also kind of, there's a lot of uh, work being done into the legalizing and decriminalizing cannabis and um at the same time it was like what how are how are governments how are policies being made to decide this i suppose a lot of people point to the fact that it's not dangerous it doesn't it's not as dangerous as alcohol um and the health outcomes aren't as bad but there's not a huge amount of evidence out there to suggest one or the other because a lot of people will also say it's dangerous as a recreational drug it's a a drug that goes on to lead to you becoming a heroin addict some people go that far so i just thought it was an interesting discussion and try and come at this from an unbiased perspective because i think so many people are get emotional about it and uh, have a bias for one way or the other so i just want to present the facts and see what people think you're just in the middle yeah you're just in the center of it just saying how it is i'm just presenting the info you make up your own mind yeah exactly um But yeah, I do think the one thing which I'm not going to cover is the criminal aspect and how much of that, um, yeah, like the impact of uh, weed being illegal has on that aspect of of it. Um, I'm just purely looking at the health outcomes and um, how that how that would look and all that kind of stuff. So, like on the face of it, why do you think? Um, weed legalizing it would be a good idea because it is mostly illegal yeah um well i guess nobody is it's nobody wish to go to jail for having a yeah. joint in your pocket yeah so yeah it, it reduces the arrests it can reduce the number of effects arrests and like gets the police to focus on more um more problems or the bigger issues that yeah. need to be focused on yeah and it reduces the burden on the criminal justice system um any other things you can think of i mean if you decriminalize something i guess that's gonna lead into your topic like you are much more free or we are much more free to study it then yeah totally um and that's that's one thing i'm going to cover yeah that it it can provide it can provide easier access to medical marijuana for patients suffering from various medical conditions but also can help in facilitating more research into understanding what the potential medical medical benefits and i'll touch on it there was a reason why it's can't be studied in uh in research which was so has a a massive negative impact because it just takes out a, a drug that has potential benefits um and the other quickly reasons is that it does have economic benefits that you can actually generate a lot of money from legalizing it governments can then use that to help fund their public services you can just tax it just like alcohol okay yeah um it can reduce the black market activity which um would help again reducing criminal activities and also like harm reduction like because it'll discourage hopefully the use of more harmful substances and reduce harm associated with other with their their consumption because it's more pure you're not it's not worried about where it came there's from. a quality control step in yeah there somewhere yeah. basically okay. um but like it's crazy even in the netherlands that isn't a there is no that step isn't done isn't it they don't it's it's legal to sell but they don't 
to to grow it there's no like check i think if yeah you have to you can go like i know in amsterdam you can go to places that can check your drugs for you yeah and tell you the purity of it but i don't think you get like a qc stamp when you buy yeah when yeah. you buy it like you so know. it is it is it is weird like for a country that you're like wow it's all but it is decriminalized it's not legal it's not legal yeah um and yeah, and the other thing in Ireland as well, we, there was a recently a citizens assembly where they're discussing the potential about legalizing or decriminalizing mm-hmm. cannabis in the country. And that's like such a huge step for here because we're such a conservative country. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, I know all, all my parents would definitely be like, no, I wouldn't want it to be legalized or decriminalized. They would think the whole stereotype of hi- hippie stoner doesn't lazy doesn't want to do a job like everything <laughs> every reason for why they're in that situation is because they smoke weed yeah so um yeah so like i just think it is um it is good to like try and fight back against the stereotypes and understand what what's going on um so yeah what so why what's what's been done into the research of um cannabis in in uh, health outcomes so the british medical journal they recently did a have uh published a meta study where the objective was to systemically assess credibility and certainty of associations between cannabis cannabinoids and cannabis based medicines and human health from observational studies and also from randomized control trials which is the the gold standard to see if it actually has a benefit so i thought i'd cover it see what you think whether it's scaremongering the the meta study Mm -hmm. or if there is genuine fears if we go the way of legalizing weed uh or specific specifically for certain diseases and i suppose yeah as i said you came from a country that you were living in a country i lived there but i suppose you live longer yeah barely Um, had my eyes open (laughs) always red and puffy (laughs) always always puffy that was why the phd took you so long (laughs) damn um so yeah let me hit you with some stats we always do so cannabis is used by an estimated 219 million adults globally so 4.3 percent of the population which is quite a lot Mm mm-hmm um, with a particularly high prevalence in North America, not surprising, but like nearly one f- one in five of the population um, use cannabis. That's um, a lot. It is, seems like a lot, yeah. So the 1961 UN Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs included cannabis with opioids and cocaine as a controlled substance whose use was prohibited but policies now have changed considerably in the recent decades so that was the that was the that was a joke such a big setback because they classified it at the same time as opioids or cocaine so yeah yeah. so which we can now safely say is not the same they're not as uh well you would say not as addictive not as um destroying uh, destroying from the inside Yeah, yeah exactly so huge setback no research could really be done and uh we're at a we're at a trying to play catch up now to see what it can be used for but that that also brings its own problems as well so medical use of cannabis is now permitted in large parts of north and south america europe and oceania although patient access varies considerably across jurisdictions so the use of cannabis for non-medical purposes is now permitted in canada 22 u.s states and uruguay and several other countries are considering allowing adult use in some form. So I think Germany's talking about legalizing it. 
the Netherlands is decriminalized. I think Portugal is decriminalized. And Czech Republic. Yeah. So there is um, there is like varying ways of it being uh, decriminalized, legalized, and all that. So in this rapidly changing policy climate, high quality evidence on benefits and risks are needed to inform policies and clinical practice. How do we go about it if we are going to legalize it? And in what situations could it be done? So in this article that they this research study that or the meta research study that they've done so salmi and colleagues they report on an, an umbrella review of the benefits and risks of cannabis so a key strength was that they uh use evidence from randomized trials which was 51 meta-analysis and observational studies so basically randomized control trials is basically they you are assigned to a group you're given the the, the, output, the therapy and then you're monitored to see if it has an effect whereas mm-hmm. the observational is just basically you you monitor the population of a certain people and see how what the how health outcomes in the end so you're not you're not intervening you're just observing yeah um so they wanted to see and they they looked at a range of interventions or exposures and range of um diseases or um disorders and stuff like that um, so the interventions or exposures included cannabis, cannabinoids, so they drugs that act on the endocannabinoid system and um, cannabis-based medicines. But the thing about cannabis, it produces more than 100, 100 different types of cannabinoids. So there's loads of different molecules actually it, it go on in the, in the plant. And one of them is so that it makes, that this includes the Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinoid and then also cannabidiol. So I'm just going to call it Delta 9 tea. So Delta okay. 9 tea and cam- cannabis oil. Cannabis oil. Yeah, sorry. I'm just like saying that right. It's, yeah. It, it's um, a- it has contrasting mechanisms of actions and medical uses. So for example, Delta 9 tea is used for the treatment of nausea and vomiting for chemotherapy, while cannabis oil uh, is used for the treatment of seizures in childhood epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Um, where and delta nine T is the bit, that, the molecule that gives the the intoxicant. They call it intoxicant effects, but the high, the, the high you, you get. High. Sorry, Th- that's what gives you the high. Yeah, this okay. molecule gives you the high, and it's re- and it's responsible for the effects most people use from non medical cannabis. So when you get non medical, you're generally trying to get high. So this is right. why you want it. Um. But like it gives, um, it carries an increased risk of adverse effects compared with the other cannabinoids. Because you're, yeah, if you're getting high, you can have different, worse outcomes, you would say. Whereas the other like cannabinoids, like CBD, don't give you the high. It just gives you more of the relaxing effects without the high. And usually when it's prescribed, they try and do... It depends, I suppose, for the different type of treatment, but you don't want to give the... the, Even though this Delta 9T has a lot of positive effects, there is this high which can lead to increased risk of adverse events, which is what you don't want to happen. So there's also this weighing up of what's the best way of using to what's the best way to treat so with the more purified product you can you can achieve the desired effect more precisely yeah exactly yeah um but then i suppose this molecule is also useful for other other specific disorders or outcomes or uh, side effects but then you don't want the adverse of outcomes so like how what what's the best Mm -hmm. way of of doing it so um so they their review showed strong effects uh, sorry strong evidence of both benefits and harms for a range of medical indications so 
results showed that from 29.1% of trial associations showing high to moderate certainty of evidence were particularly important. So for example, cannabis-based medicines reduce pain in patients with chronic pain, but also increase psychological distress. It can reduce uh, spasticity and pain in patients with multiple sclerosis, but also increases adverse events such as dizziness and then also a drowsiness or um, want to fall asleep, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you can testify to that. I can testify <laughs> to that anyways. Um, so cannabidiol, it reduces epileptic seizures across a range of different populations and measures an improved quality of life, which I think is great, especially for people who have epilepsy. But it also can then lead to adverse events such as diarrhea and then a decreased appetite. Among patients with cancer, cannabis-based medicines improve sleep disruption, but increase adverse events such as gastrointestinal disorders. And then in people with mixed conditions, cannabis-based medicines reduce nausea and vomiting, pain and spasticity, but then also increase adverse events, including those related to the central nervous system, so to psychology and to vision. So it's not all rainbows. No, yeah, like, yeah, that's, I think that's what's the high, the highlight, the thing about it is like, I think a lot of people think there's so much positives, which there is, no one's denying that, but it's like, what, no one talks about the side effects, there is side effects, there is Mm. adverse effects, and it's like, this this can be debilitating for some people, and it's something that, um, I suppose it's just a, and everyone's different, like, everyone can have different outcomes, I know when I took it, I when we used to smoke, mm-hmm. I did feel ill. It would make me feel lightheaded, dizzy, um, kind of drowsy. I never really got a good high off it, and like and but you would have. I got a good high off it. Yeah. yeah. So it's just sometimes it's not the best therapy. It can be the only alternative, but it's just something that people need to be aware of and not just see the positive effects of it. Um, so yeah, taken together, this evidence could justify the introduction of medical cannabis in jurisdictions that do not currently allow medical use and increase the patient access. So I do think, I'd say you agree, like maybe it is, it is worth implementing, like the adverse effects aren't seriously debilitating. Um, I think it should be done in moderation. Like for recreational use, definitely. For recreational, yeah. Okay, but, we'll get to that. Yeah, but like for the, like, you know, if it takes away the pain for people who takes the who take chemo or the, for the cancer patients, like... If yeah. it could work for them with no very little side effects. Yeah, then... There should be more better th- access. Yeah, but if you are, if you, if you are prescribed it and you take it and you actually notice that the side effects don't outweigh the benefits of using it, hmm. then you just add to the you add to the quote-unquote suffering right yeah so why but then it's like is there enough as this this meta study is trying to do is there is it more like to have more adverse events in people overall and is it worth really implementing something that is going to have more adverse events just for that small but then you try and normalize or standardize something that is very much Mm. so person dependent you need to try and figure out what how do you mean well like if everyone uh, if everyone res- response is variable to it, then it's hard. Then to what's say. what's the? Yeah, okay. I'm sure there is a benefit of like having some sort of like a uh, bigger understanding mm. of what you can 
get from it, you know, the advantages and disadvantages. But, you know, if it is, if it, if it is like highly person specific, then maybe you just, you know, if, if you're not, it's not gonna like kill you. Mm. And you take one dose and you see like, you no, know, it's actually, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not for me. Yeah. Then, yeah. you know, it's yeah. nice, to, it's nice to know what you can expect from it, but then, you know, given this relative safetyness of it in terms of that it's not lethal. Yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. you know, then you kind of have to kind of have to judge it by yourself, whether you, you do see benefit from taking it mm. in your condition, mm. whether or not, you know, if it does take away epilepsy, but then you get some sort of side effect from it, then you have to ask yourself like whether, mm. whether I want, I want the yeah. epileptic attack, epilepsy to stop. Uh, and, you know, kind of, well, quote unquote, power through the yeah the other the side effect but the, of it, I, I, and I suppose though the the other thing is well, like might, maybe it wouldn't even help. There is it's not yeah. consistent as well, and it's yeah. nice to have it done properly, in uh, you know dis- discussed it with the physician who would be like yeah. the, the per- like okay. a specialist with it, like you know. So it shouldn't be just like you you sit there, you take it, and then you decide by yourself, like, you know, it should, it should be with them, yeah. Yeah, with them, a, a, yeah. a discussion, and, and, you know. Okay. I see it that way. Yeah, yeah, no, in fairness, it does. I think, yeah, as I said, balancing the benefits and risks of medical cannabis will require careful consideration of patients' preferences, responses to other treatments, and the estimated efficacy, adverse events, and cost-effectiveness. Um, the study may not reflect efficacy or safety of any single medicine and it may still be unclear which medications or dose to pre- prescribe. I think yeah, that we need to figure out as well doses, dosages, what kind of strain, what kind of molecule, etc., etc., which may be more... Development of tolerance. Yeah, and what might help in the future. So yeah, I think in the medical field... Um, I do think, yeah, initiatives to improve consistency research and reporting could help in facilitating this estimation of a dose response effects in future reviews. So, um, like, yeah, as I was reading that, I think it is hard to say completely rule it out. I do think there should be a lot of more flexibility in allowing it in for certain, um, for certain disorders or for certain conditions, maybe for others, maybe um it mightn't it might be just a a way of like chronic pain maybe some people are just trying to just get access to 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 cannabis i don't know i just like i don't think you should ever feel bad if you're just trying to do something that takes away pain yeah especially like a chronic chronic pain like you know and there are also some people that you know basically they have taken so many uh of the counter medications that maybe yeah is it much worse yeah you know and maybe they can't they can't take them anymore yeah and they have to use this alternative Mm. uh, yeah and yeah that's the thing is like we're comparing it to like drugs that kind of just as bad of adverse events but that but just because it's not like a a classified narcotic drug just because there's no taboo around it like you know um then observation studies so this they were including this review as well and um, so this was just like observing, not doing the randomized control com, contri- trial. And I think this is where you hear a lot of the anecdotal evidence of like, oh yeah, I smoke weed and I had so many benefits and 
my confidence, my my pain, chronic pain, and my eyes problems or my joint problems or like just every array. Yeah, and they showed here that they were actually mostly when they did these observations, so they actually had no effect or very weak evidence of benefit for the condition it was used for. Can I, can I be honest? If I hear those people, if I if I hear them, I think most of it, if not everything, is just self justification of their actions. They yeah. just they just say these things because they want to believe those things, so mm. so they can justify their continuous use of it um, or even abuse at that point. Yeah, and it is so. Yeah, this and I think this is kind of le- this the, what they're reporting here is more indicating for like legalizing of. Of cannabis so like not decriminalizing it uh or i mean like for its use specifically in in medical uh outcomes or medical considerations um yeah they it was there was actually a highly suggestive evidence that was found for the association between cannabis use and increased risk of psychosis in the general population car crashes and drivers and of poor birth outcomes following cannabis use during pregnancy and Given the wide range of cannabis exposures included, future research should estimate how different levels of exposure, ex- example to this delta ninety concentration, how much of it would lead to the risk of the things I've just mentioned. Um, like I think there is a huge uh, with the whole psychosis or what as a psych was I as I said um, uh, psych yeah the psychosis in the general yeah. population. It seems like a thing that's like oh you have to be like a schizophrenia person to take it that makes you go down that way but and i like i think a lot of skeptical i i be i'm skeptical of it but i do think it is a, a real risk of continued use and be high dose use high uh, concentration so that is something that if you're going to make it a lot more available for the the general population this is something that needs to be understood yeah what is causing it what is leading to it um and i don't know is this something that the policymakers are really thinking about i think like on the so like the way we talk about this right now like the bare minimum they should be at the same scrutiny as alcohol yeah and i suppose and they would point to the alcohol and say that's not being done for alcohol so but i suppose what when we in regards to driving while or drinking when yeah. you're pregnant or yeah. yeah like would you would you drink when when you're pregnant yeah well, if you are if you, if you have if you are pathological, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but like you shouldn't. I think that's that's the, the, the health thing, advice. Like, is yeah, not. Yeah. To. Would you smoke if you are pregnant, like a cigarette? Well, no, it is not really encouraged to smoke cigarettes. Yeah, when you're either. Pregnant. So you would you like, smoke weed when you're pregnant? Yeah. No, well, pro- probably don't. Would you drive when when you are uh, when you after when you drunk alcohol? Well, no, you probably wouldn't. You wouldn't, wouldn't you're drive. Told not to. Yeah, would you drive when you when you're high? No, you probably. But it's like, not the smart thing. So these are like just the basic levels of under, of like from the legal point perspective, mm, like okay. of what how it should be treated. But of course, we have to know like a little bit more, as you said about what what drives this psychological, um, uh, this psych, um, not psychological, psychosis, the psychosis attacks and you know what yeah what causes the paranoia you know how long does it last mm. how long does the weed stay in your system how how soon after smoking joint are, you, you, are, are you can you drive yeah you know yeah yeah um i suppose i don't know the the, the facts or the rates of how often would people who are on cannabis try and drive and it's i think 
because of different strains you can feel different ways and you maybe think you can you're more likely to be able to drive which with alcohol it's not the same is that fair to say like or do you think that's no i just don't i just think you shouldn't drive but like usually yeah but i'm just saying would you usually always know after smoking i suppose any kind of you should be like okay i won't but like is there more likely i think when you buy it like in the netherlands like you can buy a a different strains you know and then you kind of know what sort of like how you can expect yeah and i suppose the other thing is that the risk is that as cannabis becomes more socially accepted Younger individuals may perceive it as its use as less risky, leading to increased experimentation and potential long-term consequences on their health and development. Um, pregnant mothers face a heightened risk due to the normalization. And as well, like just offhand smoke, can that have an effect as they would just like regular just smoking? Just like regular smoking. Uh, and they may under- underestimate the harmful effects of cannabis on fetal development. Can this be combated by policies that counteract the normalization of cannabis use? Um, and like, yeah, I suppose you would just say comprehensive education and awareness campaigns should aim to inform both youth and expected mothers about the real dangers with cannabis consumption, especially during pregnancy. Like, I think there's so much already known about smoking and drinking that I don't think someone's going to go oh but like cannabis smoking is fine like they can i think they they're so closely associated i think they should know better and if they are going to do it they're going to do it um but i do think that the youth it can have a detrimental effect um on brain development um i suppose smoking does as well but um is this something that's well high can be highlighted more for younger people um but i think I don't think you should be able to use these sort of substances that can affect the, how your brain develops while you while your brain is still being developed. Okay. And that, that doesn't so only go for... So 18 over? Well, whatever. If that's the age that, you know, your brain is mainly developed mm-hmm. and, and is kind of, well, more re- resistant to these substances, you know? Because you, we also don't encourage, like, children to drink, you know? Yeah. But it, underage drinking does happen. Mm. And I guess, like, if you had, like, the odd can in the fields every now and then, you're not going to grow into an abomination, yeah. you know. But if you start drinking young, that's obviously going to have its own consequences. Mm. So I guess it's the same. I'm not saying, like, it's okay to have one joint when you're, like, 15 or something yeah. like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think that they're trying to say is, like, once it becomes normalized, it's hard to stop it, even if there is an age restriction. But um, I, I still point back to the Netherlands when I lived there. It didn't. You didn't see like crowds of kids smoking weed. Like, it's, like this country is very much functioning country. Yeah, a lot know? of a lot of people, Dutch people I talked, they never tried it when they were kids. So because it's just there, it's not such a, a taboo. It's just normalized. Yeah. So like, I think yeah, the normalization of it becoming less risky, but there's also normalization of like it's not a. It's just d- part d- of life. Yeah, it's not a dodgy drug that can be used so what i would expect when they do decriminalize it is like a spike in use and then it goes that would last maybe a couple of months a year and then it would plateau okay because you tried it because it's uh it's allowed you know Mm. just when they when they delete when when the prohibition was over in states everybody went for a for a rage massive session massive session like and you know like america is not built of of alcoholics i guess (laughs) yeah um yeah it's a fair point yeah yeah and i i do agree that as when when younger people they can't access the truth the black market they have to get it through legal means which 
means if it's age restricted they can't get it easily whereas if it is through the black market they don't care who they sell it to so that is a that is a good point to make that yeah that maybe there is more of a gate to accessing these drugs when it is legalized compared to now um but then yeah i suppose you just have to weigh that up versus like if it's more accessible will it have a worse outfit outcomes for for these kids and adolescents um yeah but coming back to the like to the science part of it like majority of of current drugs is being like discovered in the rainforest when you just when you study these different plants yeah. what kind of substances they produce and how they can affect us you know when you look at the uh like the natives people of the, that lives in the they would rainforest, see them use it. not abuse it but they would see them using it to yeah. elicit certain effect and then you know majority of, a lot of drugs that is on the market they have a they have a they are plant derived chemicals you know yeah. we can synthesize them so we don't need the plant per se anymore but they are plant derived so the same if you stop looking at the at weed as a, a drug to intoxicate yourself but as a plant that has certain number of these chemicals that can be extracted from it and study them mm. and and then yeah exactly segregate what is used for what how you can use it purify it you know maybe you can change a few things to get rid of the side yeah, effects but, I, but for like people who just want to get a recreational high i think that's the what's the best way for them I can't see any. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure if you ask people in the Netherlands, they can list a number of things that probably they see what is wrong with the system that they have in place. Yeah. But again, it's not. If you ask a Dutch person, like no one is that crazy about it. Yeah, yeah, uh, not at all. Yeah, Big like weed if, heads, not like it does. You know, and people do use it because these mm. obviously these shops do exist. The the coffee shops. It's not like Snoop Dogg. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> and it's not like in, all the time. Uh, we lived in Nijmegen, which is by all means it's not a very touristy town you wouldn't yeah. like see people coming into Nijmegen from around europe yeah and you know these coffee shops are still there mm. and like you know people do use them okay in amsterdam you you have this uh, is it called narco tourism yeah where people do come over to 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 smoke weed and stuff yeah. like that so maybe i can see how that that might have a negative impact societally but you know these these coffee shops do exist in these small dutch towns um obviously they generate enough revenue to stay afloat yeah but like it's not that there is a big massive cloud over over every dutch town or city because people are constantly high like it's something that it's there the same way like alcohol is is here and maybe we do have to understand the science be behind the weed yeah and do more yeah do more research as we always say um but then to come back to my last just come back to the last point that the study did they didn't include any meta-analytical results on the risk of cannabis use disorder so cannabis use disorder is when individuals start using cannabis and are unable to stop even though it's causing health and social problems in their lives so do you have any idea what the rate of people who will develop cannabis use disorder this is like what this study I'd say it's going it to be recent. high. I'd say it's over than definitely over than 50%. What? Okay, no. Okay. Because <laughs> I have such a bad outlook on everything. <laughs> well, the rates do vary. So okay. they said, um, the rates, yeah, as I said, they vary between those who will develop the disorder and become dis- addicted. But they one recent meta-study estimated 22% of people who have used cannabis can meet the criteria for cannabis use disorder. 
and it's thought that the risk of developing this use disorder is greater in people who start using marijuana or weed during their youth or adolescence. Um, and yeah, so this is another thing that we really need to be aware of, the assessment of the risk of cannabis use disorder um, when um, appraising the benefits and risk of, I suppose, legalizing cannabis use. I always, like, when I seen this, it was like, it would, it brought me back to, like, during COVID, during the pandemic, and how the, wasn't it the Dutch government decided they were going to close the coffee shops and yeah. then they opened them for a certain time and then the queues. The queues were massive. So that suggests that there is significant yeah. cannabis use disorder in a lot of the population. Now, what extent that ha- is a debilitating for society has a massive effect on individuals in their their development but is it a sign of a disorder like what what if they would close off license would you not see people lining up to buy a bottle of wines <laughs> just to have it just to have it in house yeah i know but i suppose I, yeah the way i would say is like okay alcohol is there it's out there there's no turning back on that we can we can regulate it now start off with trying to come up with a best policy procedures now to try and stop this happening and like what what is the best way is this something you can stop how do we how do we understand why why this happens what are the outcomes and um yeah so that's just this is this comes with it being available widely and like maybe there is no significant downfall but it's still that like you don't want people addicted to any kind of drug so that's just that that's something that this needs to be made aware um i don't know what your thoughts yeah I when mean, you lived over there I'm sure you've met a lot of people who would have fit this disorder. No. No, okay. No. I just, you really, I don't know, maybe in the, you know, in the solid, when you're in your, by, in your own room and stuff like that, maybe that's when it com- comes off like, you know, that you can, you can be just like a functioning uh, weed addict. Mm. that like from so from you can still function do your job from eight to nine. Yeah. You just, you just, just do your, you what you have to do. But then like, but then if then you I suppose you can just like if you need to smoke you just have to close yourself in your you in your room and just and just and just get But is that get ever that a fixed. good thing? No, that's not a good thing. That's that's a that's a thing because you literally cut yourself out of everyone because you just need to you just you need to, to satisfy that, that craving. Yeah. yeah. So that's definitely And not like good. even for me I and I, as I said I didn't like it. I didn't really like it at all, but I there's still a weird craving that's still there. Like I I'd be like if I was like here and I was bored yeah. in the evening I'd be like if it was there I'd be like maybe I'll just go down and because there's a weird crave it's like there is an addiction there's a weird there, there is, is a craving yeah and even like for me who didn't really like it it's still there's some kind of way that it's there. there's a kind of some addiction there so and but like at the same time it, what what what's the best way to deal with this is that an issue um but yeah that's i just think this to have such a high like it is a high percentage as well yeah i'm like addiction isn't always the good thing so yeah i just think to be aware of this there is a there is a significant proportion of population if it's allowed can get addicted but then again like if you write yourself like and it's like oh <laughs> i'd love to have a nice beer now and i go and get a beer it's not a a stigma but as i said like that's there's no going back from there can we can we learn from that? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. what you mean. Yeah, I think I think it has to be a, before decriminalization does happen for a for a, a 
recreational use, there, there has to be a right infrastructure put in place. You yeah. can't just decriminalize it and then trying to catch up. Yeah. On oh, that totally. Yeah. You know? Totally. Um, yeah. So, and I'll say, yeah, I'll say cannabis use stories, the primary contributor related to cannabis to the global burden of disease and could increase the risk of adverse, further adverse outcomes because patients with these disorders often use more cannabis than intended and have difficulty controlling or cutting down their use. Since cannabis use disorders are prevalent among people using cannabis for medical as well as non-medical purposes, preventing and treating this disorder should be a key focus in practices and policies designed to maximize benefits and minimize risks. So yeah, as I said, we need to get ahead of it before it becomes a problem. Yeah. So yeah, what do you think? So what do you think of it all? What do you think is the best way to implement and ch- changes to cannabis policies should it be changed oh definitely should it be changed yeah because uh, drugs win the war of dr- on drugs yeah you know yeah. that's that's basically no, what yeah yeah totally we don't we don't win and like adding another unnecessary yeah. drug to it is if the state doesn't take control over it it will go into a black market yeah and then you know the fear mongering of selling drugs at, at the schoolyard that that will become a reality, you know, because people who want to make money, they don't care where and from whom they're going to make money. So if you, if you, if you do, if you do put a control over it, I think you, you have to, that's the only, only way to do it. And, you know, again, to have a full understanding of the topic, you have to study it. It has to be allowed to be studied at universities. You know, we have, we have to see what effect it has, uh, what doses, you know, both on the, from the, kind of strict from the medical medical perspective but also from the psychological perspective in, in the larger population in the larger population there, you know there should be like a psychologist uh, who understand these things and how the human mind works mm. on it and like if if you are exposed at a younger age how yeah how debilitating is it there's a mind? mountain of work to be done yeah um and like and do you think that we need to change the narrative about cannabis i that? think so but in the same way, but like, is, how, as in, like, people think it's there's no dangers, or do you think we people are overcautious? Like, is there is it both? Is it not? It's it's you making it as it's as dangerous as as you're gonna make it dangerous. Okay, you know. So there is, yeah, I do agree. Yeah, I do think, as you said, like in the coffee shops, you can go if it's there, you can ask. Oh, I'm really, I've never had it before. I want to just try it. Can you give me something that's really, yeah, will be safe? not going to cause the psychosis you're yeah. not going to jump in as you would with the black market so um but yeah i do think that's but like at, at the same time i do think knowing that there is a side effects if they did become illegal that people are well aware of this yeah um and Ye- that young people are like it's it's not cool it's not cool to smoke weed no. you can't yeah maybe you can't, when you, it's you, not the cool thing i to think do. i not i don't want to say like not cool but i i think you shouldn't you, should only, you can only make the decision when you're old enough. Yeah. You, when you know... You shouldn't be glorified. But uh, at, the, at the younger age, you, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't be like... Made, think that there is no risk. That you should be aware when you're a kid if you're trying to do that. And when you're 18, you can do... You can be aware and do whatever you want. Um, But like, yeah, that's just... And you have to know that, like, you have to recognize your own addictions, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can't be saying that, But that's, yeah, and that's the other thing, is, like, if you are addicted, if you have this cannabis use disorder, is there options if you're, like, I am addicted, I need something, that there is options out there. There should be therapies available for you. Yeah, that there is, uh, uh, 
yeah something available that you can and have use. a hobby like don't let your life yeah rely yeah. on like smoking yeah. weed yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Like, there's more but that is life. that is a that is a real thing that people yeah. think about roman empire like. <laughs> <laughs> have a hobby but that's their they will think about that while they're high isn't that it okay yeah. well, look you know i don't believe in this but like it is yeah there, but it is a real thing where people just they lose all their motivation yeah through it. but like i don't want to just smear everyone with that but it, it is a real side effect so a syndrome of a pothead is very real yeah when you... but like it's the same as alcohol like they're not exactly yeah. the same so yeah. yeah look i think it just to sum it up i think to be aware of the dangers i think to get more research done into these medical conditions i think to have the opportunity to give these to people patients that need it and that they're aware of the risks and that they can discuss it in a safe place with their doctor i think that's always the best thing um i think to let it around to the general population is more difficult there needs to be a lot more policies implemented to understand and help maximize the benefits and minimize risks i think that's that's the best way and um it's it's there's a lot of work still needs to be done and understood i think that's why the citizen assembly that they did in ireland was good for that um but i think people need to be aware of both sides and and not come in with stereotypes yeah or or stigmas when they when they decide if it ever come to a, a referendum it will take time yeah yeah on that note on that note yeah that's it um so yeah that <laughs> so that was today's episode um tom you give a great overview of the nobel prize i think Thank you, you. Uh, of uh, medicine chemistry and physics uh, i give a quick overview of a new story from the summer where she used a brain interface to help with our speech uh, and brain yeah just that whole development and how it could be a breakthrough for people who um who have had strokes or or if they've had uh, als mm-hmm and then I give an overview of um, a meta study that was used to cover cannabis. What's its use in medical use? In medical use, cannabis versus just recreational use, uh, decriminalization, legalization for everyone. What are the benefits? What are the risks? And uh, what are the policy changes that could be could be implemented? And um, yeah, so. Thank that you was... for this, Evan, for scaring everyone. <laughs> you set the program. I I, I tried to take it down the middle, try to understand from both sides. So uh, I, I just, I'm just asking questions. That's what you do. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, do you have any other things to add? No. Let's wrap it up because <laughs> I'm hungry. Um, so yeah, uh, if you want to reach out again, I'll just say... You can reach us on Instagram, Skeptically Inclined, Twitter at Skeptically I, and Gmail at Skeptically Inclined at gmail.com. That was today's episode. Have a great day wherever you listen to it. I hope you enjoyed it. Stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. Bye. Bye.